Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call. Pulling you deep into shadow. Twisting your senses. Keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. As of today, we're at T-minus two weeks from the big day. Whether by that you thought I meant Halloween, or the end of our current submissions period, well, you're right. That means you've got two weeks to cross your I's, dot your T's, and put those horrific finishing touches on your work before offering it up to the ravenous fangs of our editors. TalesToTerrify.com slash submissions for those of you just tuning in. We also have a couple of patrons I'd like to extend a huge thank you to. New patrons, Tammy Bernard and Courtney, as well as Kathy Robinson, a.k.a. Deadly Blonde. Your kindness and generosity 
are the salt that protects this summoning circle from the dangers of the darkness we conjure, and our eternal souls are forever grateful. Speaking of the big day, I'm curious what you all have planned for this Halloween season. Obviously a bit different than past years, I'm sure, but hopefully some of your favorite Halloween traditions are still able to go on, even if they are a little modified. Some of my fondest memories of Halloween's past are watching old horror movies that were usually more over-the-top ridiculous than they were scary. In fact, I distinctly remember first being introduced to both The Evil Dead and Dead Alive on the little TV in my parents' basement, huddled up with friends. And then, usually, we'd have a game or an activity or two. One of my favorites was those old murder mystery in a box. Do you remember those? The creepier, the better, and there were some good ones. Sure, it was no immersive escape room, but what they lacked in props and setting, they more than made up for with our imaginations. This year, despite everything else, I think I might just be able to recapture a bit of that magic after all. Last week, I mentioned an intriguing project from the people at The Haunted Walks, a project they call The Haunting at Home. It's the perfect way to get in the haunted holiday spirit without even having to leave your home. But rather than listen to me ramble on, why don't I let Jim Dean, the creative director of The Haunted Walks, tell you a little more about it. Have you ever wondered if your house is haunted? It's time to say hello to the bump in the night. My name is Jim Dean, and I'm the creative director of Canada's largest ghost tour company, The Haunted Walk. This October, we are inviting you to take part in a massive paranormal experiment. The Haunting at Home is an interactive online audio experience that you can do right in your own house, apartment, or creepy cabin in the woods. This ghostly adventure will challenge you to conduct a series of paranormal experiments in the dark. It is the perfect night of spooky fun if you love ghost stories or enjoy the thrill of trying to contact the other side. Start ghost hunting tonight at hauntedwalk.com slash the haunting. The Haunting at Home. If you'd like to check it out, make sure to use offer code Tales to Terrify at checkout to get 20% off. That's hauntedwalk.com slash the haunting and offer code Tales to Terrify for 20% off your very own in-home guided paranormal audio investigation. But before you go running off in search of the darkness lurking in the corners of your home, uh, we've got some shadows of our own to dig up. This week, we've finally crossed over from Alberta into the province of Saskatchewan. While I spent most of my formative years in Alberta, I was born in Saskatchewan, and I moved back a little over a dozen years ago. It really doesn't get more quintessentially prairies than Saskatchewan. Gentle, rolling fields of wheat and bright yellow canola in full bloom. Endless blue skies with soft, billowy clouds. 
unless, of course, it's one of the six months a year we're buried under snow, which is a horror all its own. When I was very young, I remember my grandparents had a small cabin on a green lake nestled in the Capel Valley. And even though I don't have very clear memories of the cabin itself, or the lake, or even what we did there, I do strongly remember the tale of how the valley got its name. The coolness of the evening had begun to take the edge off the sweltering summer heat by the time the young Cree man pushed his canoe into the water. He shoved against the rocky bottom with his paddle, the hull scraping and bumping in the shallows, before gliding free into the open water. He deftly dipped his paddle in, first one side and then the next, sliding in and out with barely a splash, picking up speed along the glassy surface of the lake. The soft orange glow of the horizon had deepened to crimson and then to purple as more and more stars began to wink into existence in the open sky overhead. He had wanted to leave hours ago, begged to be let go, for someone else to finish the work for him. But in the end, he had stayed. And now it was late. He'd be paddling all night. It was a beautiful evening, though. The moon was bright, and his heart was full and light. Every stroke of the paddle carried him further downriver carried him closer to her. The rhythmic dip, swish, lift of the paddle was mesmerizing, and before he knew it, he was singing softly to the beat, a song he'd had drifting in the currents of his mind, just below the surface, for weeks. A beautiful song, her song. She'd been singing it the day they'd met, Busy washing clothes at the riverbank, the melody swirling from her lips had drowned out the sound of his approach. At first, he'd been afraid to startle her, so intent she was on her work. But when she finally looked up and their eyes locked, her knowing, mischievous grin made him the one to flutter and gape. He was proud and well put together, a capable warrior and a strong member of his band. But staring into those dark eyes, she made him feel as weak as a newborn pup. His heart had barely stopped fluttering since that first meeting. And despite the distance between their camps, the span of three entire lakes joined by a single river, he made the trek as often as he was able. But soon, he wouldn't have to. He'd met her family, been welcomed into her camp, and they were soon to be married. The moonlight danced diamonds off the rippling water as he reminisced. A soft breeze toyed at his long black hair, running through the strands like tender, loving fingers. With each passing moment, the pull of his heart toward hers became stronger and the volume and timber of his song rose higher, echoing back at him from the empty green walls of the valley. 
but suddenly the gossamer threads of his song were sliced through with a single word called to him from out of the darkness. His name. His voice silenced, and his paddle hung poised over the water, dripping soft ripples into the glassy surface. He faltered at first, but then cried out in his native Cree, Who's there? And receiving no answer, he called again in French, the language of the white trappers, Capel. His words echoed and swirled around him, reflected and bounced back from the banks of the river. But no reply came. Had it been in his head? It must have been. This was empty land. There were no villages or settlements, and certainly no one who'd know him, especially at such a distance in the dark. He shook his head and dipped the paddle back in the water, slowly gaining speed and confidence as he became more convinced the sound had been in his imagination. And the further he traveled, the more certain he became, until from out of the darkness he heard it again, clearer, as if from everywhere and nowhere at once, somewhere both far away and from right next to him at the same time. Again, he called out, Capel, who's there? And again, the only response was his own words echoed back to him. But the voice who had called to him, it sounded so familiar. It sounded like the voice of his love, but laced with sadness. He continued to paddle the small canoe as quickly as he could, down the river and across the remaining lake. By the time he reached the far shore, the fires of approaching dawn burned on the horizon. And as he stepped from his canoe, the man who stumbled down the beach to meet him told volumes in his stance and expression without ever uttering a word. Seeing him, the young man slumped to the ground, stones digging deep into his knees. But he couldn't feel them. His beloved was dead, had died that very night. She'd come down with a fever two days before, and the burning sickness had finally carried her away in the night. But despite her pain and suffering and delirium, her thoughts had never turned from him, her father told the young man. Her last act was calling out to you, he said, to call your name. Thick, wrenching sobs racked the young man's body. I heard, he croaked, almost imperceptibly through the tears. I heard. Days later, broken in mind and soul, the man came down with a fever, the same fever that had claimed his young love. And shortly after, he followed her into death. It's a tragic tale of love reaching across miles for a final goodbye. A tale whose echo you can still hear to this day. Rumor has it 
if you're out on the water after dark, if you listen carefully, you can still hear the pleading call of the young lover. Capel, who's there? Our first story for the evening comes from Jonathan Duckworth. Jonathan Louis Duckworth received his MFA from Florida International University. His fiction, poetry, and nonfiction appears in New Ohio Review, 14 Hills, Gulf Coast, Meridian, Tapello Quarterly, Pseudopod, Superstition Review, Flash Fiction Online, and elsewhere. And his chapbook, Book of Never, was published by Finishing Line Press. He has been nominated for Best New Poets, Best of the Net, and Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He is a PhD student at the University of North Texas. Children of the Night, join me for Jonathan Duckworth's Some Places It's Turnips, a Tales to Terrify original. Dad always talks to you in Salvos when he's upset. Why don't you want to see the potato? He asks you. Every man in town wants to see the potato. They pay top dollar to see the potato. Hell, the breadline men would give teeth for a glimpse of the potato. So why don't you want to see it? What's wrong with you? You wish you could tell him. You wish you wanted the things you should want. What normal teenage boys want. Dad walks beside you, his arm taped around your shoulder like he fears you'll lose your nerve. He's been talking for a half an hour now, since he left the house. Some places it's turnips, he says, shaking his head. Can you imagine? Turnips! You tell him you're glad you don't live in a turnip town. Damn right, he says. We didn't fight all those wars and heap all those corpses on foreign beaches just so we could pay money to see turnip shows. The potato barn, with its red corrugated roof, stands in a cornfield at the edge of town. Plow furrows from when crops still grew here wrinkle the brown earth. Already a crowd has gathered outside the barn's doors, some twenty men, though it's not even sundown. And it's the second week of the potato show. For a hopeful second, you wonder if the old man will be discouraged by the crowd and give up. No such luck. Dad has two tickets he bought yesterday morning. The men waiting outside grumble about the foreigners camping in the woods. The promised government supplies that still haven't arrived. How the nights keep getting longer. But at least we have the potato show. Yeah, at least. Cold wind blasts the feeling from your fingers. 
Inside the barn, the air is warm and stale with old men's breath, cigar smoke, and the sweetly stink of mildewed alfalfa. This'll make you a man, Dad says. Squeeze the sissy right out of you. You almost hope he's right. It'd be simpler that way. When it's your turn, Big Jim Hoskins is waiting to take your tickets, a patriot smile on his face. Big Jim lost a hand in the last war, but he won't tell anyone what it was that bit it off. He takes your tickets in his hand, and then with his hooked prosthesis, peels back the cloth partition. You and Dad pass through the curtains, stitched from old horse blankets, and you see the girl before you notice the potato. Darlene, or maybe her name is Charlene. Marlene? You don't know her well, and you've certainly never seen her naked or with her hair down. But you're sure it's the girl from your math class who once lent you her protractor. And somehow that recognition needles you more than anything. Sweating under the glare of kerosene lamps, she looks like a dewy peach. Is she as happy as her blissful, virginal smile and the rolled-back whites of her eyes tell? You wonder if she's in pain. It must hurt her, the way the potato feeds on her. Gorged to the size of a toddler, the potato she cradles is a dull garnet color, tumescent with starch and blood, bearded in splotches of caked soil, and rosetted with white carbuncle sprouts. With pallid, barbed flagella, the spud is latched to the girl, drinking her drop by drip by drop through tiny pricks in her skin. You know what's needed of you. You don't even wait for Dad to say it to agree with him. It's beautiful, you hear yourself say. Dad wraps his arms around your shoulders, gentleness and warmth in the gesture now that he's found his son again. That was Jonathan Duckworth's Some Places It's Turnips, as read by Austin Stern. Austin Stern is a 22-year-old part-time college student from southwestern New Mexico and newcomer to all things narration. He thanks you for having him. And thank you, Austin. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Our second story comes from Diane Callahan. Diane Callahan strives to capture her sliver of the universe through writing fiction, nonfiction, and poetry. As a developmental editor and ghost plotter, she spends her days shaping stories. Her YouTube channel, Quotidian Writer, provides practical tips for aspiring authors. You can read her work in Translunar Traveler's Lounge, Short Edition, and Riddled with Arrows, among others. Listen with me, children of the night, to Diane Callahan's A Smell Like a Hand Around the Throat, a Tales to Terrify original. His first smell hit him with the sharpening of his insides, a stirring in his soul. Mason stopped on the dirt path that meandered toward a faded red barn, which the tour map in his hands described as part of an authentic 1890s farmstead. Looking down his nose, he watched his nostrils flare. Unlike normal people, he had only four basic senses. At least, that had been true until that moment, when firecrackers of sensation burst in his brain. The map slipped from his fingers. Claire put her hand on his arm and looked up at him with her electric blue gaze. What is it? Tears stung his eyes. I can smell. Oh my god, are you sure? It's so strong, and... He took a big breath, heart pounding. The hyperreality of it all almost smothered him. Mason, that's amazing! His girlfriend sounded so gleeful the other visitors probably thought he had just popped the question. An elderly couple had slowed to a crawl to witness the spectacle unfold. Twenty-five years on this stench-soaked planet, and he'd never so much as known what it meant to smell the roses or kiss someone with garlic breath. Now, the whole world was anew. He wanted to bask in the heavy weight of this scent, which felt thick enough to wade in. A farm tour had been Claire's idea of a good date, 
organic eggs, fresh meat, local folks who could talk for hours about the weather. She liked that sort of thing. Said it made her feel closer to God, if there ever was one. For the first time, Mason understood what she meant. The smell. It's, it's incredible, he murmured. Claire doubled over in hysterics. Her hair fell over her face in a blonde curtain, and her hyena laugh was definitely drawing sideways glances. You're sniffing the air like a dog, and it's so... <laughs> Claire cracking up again, her face reddening as if she'd forgotten to breathe. Heat rose up his neck. What? What is it? Holy crap, my stomach hurts. Claire wiped tears from her eyes, still shaking with laughter. That's manure. What you're smelling is vast quantities of shit. As if to demonstrate that point, a cow mooed behind them. Well, it doesn't smell that bad to me, Mason mumbled. How do you even know the difference between a good and a bad smell? She hugged his arm as her face calmed to a smile. It's something you just know. A built-in feature, for most people anyway. Her eyes sparkled again. Wait till you smell your first fart. Ooh, I see some honeysuckle. Claire practically dragged him off the path. Atop the barn, a weather vane spun and spun as the wind picked up, and gray clouds rolled in. Mason grinned. The cold, shock-to-the-tongue smell could only be that of an approaching thunderstorm, the scent of an awakening. At Dr. Leibowitz's office, Mason inhaled the unfamiliar odor of fear and sickness rubbed clean. The old doctor's brow furrowed as she examined his electronic chart. Congenital anosmia doesn't usually go away overnight, she said. This is pretty bizarre. What happened, do you think? Mason asked. Could be that your case was more psychosomatic than we thought. I don't see anything unusual in your scans. Have you noticed any other changes? Mason shrugged. I've always been able to taste the difference between salty and sweet a little bit, but now everything has a stronger flavor. Claire would lose her mind over a cupcake or hot chicken, but eating had never inspired the same worship in him it did for other people. Even now that he'd regained his lost sense, the food itself interested him less than the resulting aromas that curled into the atmosphere. Right, you have normal taste receptors, but with this added olfactory component, now you can distinguish between smells. Dr. Leibowitz leaned against the counter. We just want to be sure this isn't triggered by some other issue. Like a brain tumor? It seemed like an imbalance in the universe to be gifted something without an equivalent consequence. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away and all that. She shook her head. No, no need to worry. Go out and enjoy yourself. We've got some pine trees across the street. I always take a big whiff on my way in. Mason smiled. What do they smell like? Refreshing. Kind of minty, maybe? At Mason's blank look, she laughed. You can add that to your bucket list of smells. Mason thanked her. And on his way out, he pumped a glob of hand sanitizer into his palm. Rubbing it into his skin, he wrote a new entry in his mental log. Hand sanitizer. A small strike of lightning. Since the change, Claire had introduced him to every category of smell. Warm chocolate chip cookies were like a good nap on a summer afternoon. The drool-inducing musk of bacon had stirred the primal urge to rip animal flesh with his teeth. 
Claire had torn leaves from her lavender plant, her favorite smell, but he swatted it away with a choked sound. It had been too much like licking soap. Flowers and citrus offended his nostrils in the way of girls with high-pitched voices. He preferred strong smells, mean smells, ones that threatened to overpower him like a hand around the throat. In their apartment bathroom, he snuck huffs of nail polish remover, the scent squeezing his brain cells. When Claire giggled and shouted at him, Heil, mein Führer! Mason rubbed at the black smudge of permanent marker he'd accidentally drawn under his nose. Stronger still were the natural odors of the dive bar where he worked. Behind the bar, he took out the little black book he now kept in his pocket, its fresh pages already dog-eared into sections. Cigarette smoke felt like playing darts in the desert. Alcohol, the dreamlike feeling of wandering darkened streets. And human bodies cramped into small spaces were a suffocating miasma of hubris. Find any new ones? A sultry voice asked. Mason looked up to see his girlfriend on the other side of the bar, still wearing her all-black restaurant uniform. In the dim room, Claire's smile radiated joy. Hey, beautiful, he said, and they kissed over the countertop. I'm trying to figure out what I'm smelling right now. Want to help me out? Claire sniffed the air, and he chuckled as she wrinkled her button nose. I think it's that guy over there, she whispered, putting a hand to the side of her mouth and nodding rather indiscreetly at a bearded man sitting at the end of the bar. Wow, that's quite the range. Mason jotted down a note in his book. How do you think he gets to smelling like that? Piss and vomit, most likely. God, he smells awful. Claire made a gagging face. She leaned over the counter, peering at Mason's writing. Wait, wait, a pleasant heft on the tongue? You like that smell? He shrugged. There are no bad smells to me, only strong ones or weak ones. Claire plucked the notebook from his hands. Whoa, you filled up a lot of pages already. And you have a list of... Her surprised expression darkened. Roadkill? Cadavers? Cocaine? He took the notebook from her and snapped it shut. What the hell is this, Mason? A to-do list? Claire asked. It's just a personal project. To smell all the gross stuff you can? And seriously, cocaine? You know what it did to my brother? I'm not going to become a crackhead. I've been taking notes on how other people describe smells, he said. Been hard, though. For most people, it's like explaining color to a blind person. Her shoulders relaxed, and she took his hand. I still need to show you what popcorn smells like. After Mason's shift, they walked a few blocks from the bar to their apartment. The evening had been swelteringly humid, and Mason tasted the salt on Claire's lips when he kissed her. The nape of her neck was moist beneath his touch, and he sucked on the skin just above her collarbone. He had learned to recognize the layered and bright scent of her shampoo, but that wasn't what drew him in like a fly. Her sweat smelled of fingernails tracing skin, utterly intoxicating in how it set his nerves on fire. So impure and raw, it made him want her more. Stench and aroma were one and the same, and he longed for a smell that could consume him. Mason pursued at least one new smell a day. Good smells were easy to collect. People surround themselves with fruity perfumes and pizza deliveries, 
clean laundry, and printed pages. Bad smells were more of a challenge. They often required patience, like waiting for a jug of milk to spoil. In the kitchen, he kept decaying fruit in plastic storage containers Claire had jokingly labeled hazardous waste, handle with caution. Each one gave him the thrill of checking another intensity off his list, and he felt he was ascending a staircase, though where it led, he didn't know. That morning, when Mason looked in the cereal cupboard, his heart somersaulted. They were gone. The dozen organic eggs he and Claire had bought from the farm a few weeks ago, they disappeared. On intuition, he walked to the trash can and stomped his foot on the pedal. The lid flew up and smacked against the wall. A corner of white foam stuck out beneath a crumpled napkin. He pulled the container out of the garbage. Claire walked into the kitchen, stretching in her tank top. Her good morning smile wilted when she saw Mason standing by the trash can with a sour expression. I told you not to throw them out, he said flatly. She gave a half laugh, half sigh. They'd gone bad. I had to throw them out. That's the point, though, he nearly shouted. The whole point is for them to go bad. Mason, Claire rubbed one eye. I think I've been pretty accepting about all your weird-ass science experiments. I know it's been exciting to go from nothing to a whole world of smells, but I need you to stop with this. Mason clenched his jaw, unable to articulate what exactly angered him so much about it. I just need to keep them for a few more weeks, and then I'll throw them out. Claire shook her head. It makes me lose my appetite to have rotting food all over the kitchen. It's gross. Panic raced through him as he looked between her face and the carton of eggs in his hand. Two more weeks. That's all I want, he begged. She pressed her lips together, then spoke quietly. Fine. Mason put the eggs back in the cupboard, and the pressure lifted from his chest. Down the hall, the shower turned on, with Claire having left him alone as soon as she could. He didn't know how to explain to her that the smells that made him feel the most alive were the ones that reeked of death. Two weeks later, he won his rotten eggs. They smelled glorious, a gas turned solid, a numb tongue after running a marathon, a burn from a hot stove that let you know your body was oh so real. He paced the apartment and kept going back to refill his nostrils with that beautiful scent. Claire had been working longer shifts at the restaurant lately, but he ached to share his new discovery with her. When she came through the door, he grabbed her arm. You have to smell this, he said, grinning. I promise you, it's wild. Let me shower first. I feel gross. Claire's mascara was smudged, her hair in a sloppy ponytail. She tried to move past him, but he stepped in her path. It'll only take a second, Mason insisted. Wait, why aren't you at work? She asked. Don't you usually have the night shift on Saturdays? Donnie is covering for me, he said quickly. What? Why? He shrugged. My boss told me not to come in tonight. Claire blinked at him, and he tried not to let anything show on his face, but the stench of guilt must have seeped through. Jesus, did you, did you get fired? It was a misunderstanding, he muttered. She stepped toward him eyes alight with concern. What happened? They caught me in the bathroom again when I was just trying to take notes. I was going to clean it up eventually. He spoke rapidly, 
not really listening to his own words. He remembered how it had felt to be on his hands and knees, inhaling every bit of the mess and trying to immerse himself in each individual note. Claire's expression filled with something worse than anger or disbelief. Pity. I think you need help, Mason, she whispered. She rubbed his arm, avoiding his gaze. You don't really believe that, do you? Mason put a trembling hand on her face, and his thumb caressed her warm cheek. He inhaled sharply, then froze. Beneath the scents of her shampoo loitered a whiff of deviance, something that didn't belong. He had smelled it on younger men at the bar, who wore it with an air of unearned confidence. He pulled her into a hug, and she deflated into him. Cologne drenched her skin, staining her like gasoline. His arms shook as they tightened around her body. His hand pressed the back of her neck, keeping her close to him. Mason? Her muffled voice held an undercurrent of panic. Who is he? He asked, without emotion. She stiffened. Sorry, I, I just smell like the restaurant. I need to go shower. Mason said nothing. I need to shower, she repeated. Where she'd once been elated at his yearning to rediscover the world, now she produced only bitter scorn and smells that didn't belong to her. She had her fragile, flowery perfumes and that redolent cologne, these cloying, sickly sweet lies. But the world's most potent truth lay hidden in blood and vomit and decay. What right did she have to disdain that godlike power? He loosened his hold, and Claire pulled away. Once she stepped past him, he picked up the glass container of potpourri on the end table and swung it at her head. She cried out as she fell, hitting the coffee table on her way down. Mason smelled it before he saw it. Heady. Hot. Entirely new. A brownish-pink spot soaked the beige carpet. He knelt beside the body, dipping his fingers into the dripping red liquid around her crown. He brought his scarlet-coated fingertips to his nose and closed his eyes, swallowing hard as the sensation devoured him. Within that scent, his selfhood evaporated, leaving behind only that hypnotic force of the strong crushing the weak. He lifted Claire in his arms, bridal style, and took her to the tub. Soon, the whole house would bloom with rot. That was Diane Callahan's A Smell Like a Hand Around the Throat, as read by Meredith McNeil. Meredith McNeil is an actor and comedian living in Los Angeles. You can find her performing improv or walking, seemingly forever, with her dog Presley. Thank you, Meredith. Well children of the night. The hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. If you're not already a supporter, I encourage you to head over and have a look at our Patreon page 
patreon.com slash tales to terrify to check out all of the awesome perks from ad-free episodes and bonus content to shoutouts and swag. Every dollar helps, and we appreciate it so much. If you're looking for another way to help, why not drop a rating or a review on your favorite podcast app? Ratings and reviews are an easy way that you can help us to spread the darkness. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, and myself, Drew Sebastini. With editorial assistance from Brian Rollins and Summer Brooks. And original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we plumb the darkness for more Tales to Terrify. you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with juvederm volure xc For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of $15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.